It's Golden Hour Adventure Time, featuring everyday people doing extraordinary things. From the peaks of victory to the valleys of defeat, these are their stories. Now, from the back of the pack, your hosts, Justin and Robbie. Today's episode is brought to you by Run Cody Wyoming Races. They have three awesome races coming up for the end of the year. The first one being the Mac Mountain Run, happening Saturday, August 26th. This is a 15K of epic proportions, the steepest of climbs and the gnarliest of descents. You may even see a bear or two. Bring your big girl panties for the 15K or come enjoy the 5K with the whole family. RunCodyWyoming.com for more information or search on Ultra Sign Up to register. The second race coming up is a gravel grinder. It's called Fistful of Dirt Bike Race. It is going to be held on Sunday, September 3rd. Come ride the good, the bad, or the ugly. 20 miles, 60 miles, or 100 miles. And brand new for this year is the Drifter. It's a 40-mile race. This is a Wild West shindig, a gravel bike race, and a dang good party. Beer, food trucks, and a free concert in the park afterwards. To find more more info on this race, go to fistfulofdirt.com. And the last race for the season in Wyoming, the Buffalo Bill Cody Half Marathon, 10K and 5K, happening Saturday, September 16th. This is your classic road run, a beautiful race, and a wild place. This year, we're excited to announce the first ever 5K distance for the whole event. It'd be great for the whole family. You can find all of these races on Run Cody Wyoming, and we also have hosted the race director, Janie Curtis. Go back in our early episodes and hear all about them. Welcome to Golden Hour Adventures. Today's guest is Ben Tuff. I found Ben through a podcast I listened to called Through the Looking Grass. It's a recovery podcast. I got to give a shout out to Julian Steve who hosted it. Ben was on there and his story is unique. It goes with along with uh, our podcast here, The Endurance World. So Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about this one. You're an ultra swimmer. So first, tell us about ultra swimming because I have no clue what ultra swimming is besides, I can only guess it's beyond the marathon distance. <laughs> right, right. So I don't even know how they technically break it down. I, I think from six miles to like 12 miles is like a marathon swimming and then, or maybe six to 14. And then anything above there is the ultra marathon length. And I have kind of fallen into that length uh, year after year doing at least one big swim anywhere from 19 to 24 miles. My gosh. Cal. <laughs> so are these, what, what are these events held? Are they held all over the the world i'm guessing or so the funny thing is is you know i got into swimming in a kind of weird way uh and as you were saying earlier i was on a recovery podcast and 11 years ago i taught myself how to swim when when i got sober and i learned through triathlon that i wasn't a runner uh it just hurt and i just didn't have it uh, you know, biking was fine, but it wasn't enough bang for my buck, right? I wanted to get a real workout. And I was like, swimming is where it's at. And uh, 
so over time I just started ramping it up and I started to do like 12 and a half mile swims like around Key West which was an organized swim uh, and then I did some like five or six mile swims around Rhode Island area and then I said you know what I, I wanted to do this for myself. And that's one of the reasons why I left triathlons because it was just so competitive. And I didn't really like going against other people. I wanted to do it just for me. And so I started to create goals for myself of becoming the first person to do certain swims. And over the last three years, that's that's what I've done. You mentioned it not hurting as much when running was hurt. I can't imagine swimming for 14 plus miles and that not hurting. <laughs> yeah. And I, I just have found that it's just not, enough, it's not as much wear and tear on, on the body. If oh, you, for sure. You know, if, if, if you do, if you do it correctly or I'm not perfect by any means, but you know, I have a torn labrum in my left shoulder and I'm still able to make it work. Uh, for for most of the time, some of the long swims, like above twenty miles, it starts to I, I feel it, uh, especially if it's kind of rough. But otherwise, it it it's just very methodical, and there aren't any hills. <laughs> you know, you're gonna have little <laughs> waves from time to time, or or stinging jellyfish, or things you have to adjust to, but. Other than that, it's just like smooth sailing and you get in your, I, I just get in my zone and I go and I'm just going from one feed to the next, you know, so like 30 to 35 minutes and I just go, I don't stop and I try to zone out as much as possible and enjoy it. So you were talking about you found swimming through, you know, your recovery process that uh, you're still going through, I'm sure, but this is what you know most people in recovery are. What what drew you to swimming instead of you know maybe picking up the bike? You were talking about you didn't like the you know running hurt a little bit. Where where did you find swimming to fit in? I just found as soon as I learned how to breathe, which is for most people, I think the hard the biggest barrier to getting into swimming. Is, is finding out what works for them. And the, I hate when people tell me what to do. And so many people are like, you're breathing wrong. You gotta do it like this. You gotta, you gotta alternate side, you gotta do this. <laughs> and then I, I, I actually reached out to some very well-known distance swimmers. And I said, this is what I'm hearing. And they said, forget about it. Just do what feels right to you. And once I learned to follow that advice, I just found peace in the water. And, you know, not only was I able to just swim incredible distances, but, and, and again, it wasn't anything totally like really fast or anything. It's not like I was winning any speed contests, but I could just go and I could totally, you know, get stuck in my head for long periods of time. And there aren't that many people who can go to a pool and spend six hours straight just doing laps in the pool, flip turn <laughs> after flip turn uh, with, you know, I'd have eight 32 ounce Gatorade bottles at the end with, and then all my gels and everything else that I had. And people thought I was nuts, uh, but it really didn't phase me. 
when you imagined, I imagined when you said you were going out for a six hour swim, you would go out to a lake or something. I didn't imagine you were in a pool. That's, that's even more impressive. <laughs> and I would rather go to the lake or the ocean, but sometimes that's just not, you know, there's a thunderstorm or mm -hmm. it's too cold. And I don't like to do any super long swims in a wetsuit because it really messes with my stroke and uh, it gives you a false position in the water because you're so much higher up. So if I have to, I, you know, I'll just suck it up and go to the pool for a while. It's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> what do people say to you when they're just like, they come in and how long you been here? And you tell them, oh, four or five hours already. <laughs> the, uh, yeah. And the, the, they say, are you a professional swimmer? And I'm like, well, if it means like, do I earn a living off of swimming? I guess I am a pre professional swimmer, uh, but I'm not anyone that you would ever know other than the <laughs> fact that I just made a movie. I imagine you have your own lane at the swimming pool. <laughs> it's amazing. Like I walk into the swimming pool and it's like everyone kind of moves over when I walk in. They're like, <laughs> oh no, he's going to be here a really long time. Oh no, here it goes and again. <laughs> and he's just going to make me feel really bad. That's awesome. And I guess it would be like that guy at the, on the, at the treadmill, right? You know, if, if for those doing rounds at the gym on the treadmill, and you know that one who's going to come in and just bang it out and just really ramp it up. And, and you're looking over at his numbers and you're like, that is not possible, right? <laughs> and there's a, an intimidation factor for sure. For sure. Yep, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I see that. So you, you said you taught yourself how to swim. Uh, how, how did you go about teaching yourself to swim? So uh, you, one of the greatest tools we have is the internet now. And the best part is that I didn't have any of those really bad habits yet. So I was kind of starting all anew, which I am learning is better than going into swimming with a lot of bad habits of, of not having the right form or stuck in the right form. So when I started to make adjustments, I could really make those little adjustments over a long period of time and make them stick. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a website called uh, Swim Smooth that I subscribed to and it was totally free and they would send like a video a day of what to work on. And I literally like followed it to a T and I'd watch those videos over and over and over again and say, am I doing that? You know, am I doing that? I'm going to have to pay attention to that in the water or is my thumb hitting my hip when I follow through? I don't think it is. I think I'm a little wider than that. I better adjust that. That's uh, that's that's pretty interesting because did you I'm guessing you didn't like swimming when you were younger or anything like that besides having fun you know playing in the pool no there I, I think I was on the swim team but they very quickly moved with me to the diving team I think on day <laughs> two or day three because uh, I could just kind of huff myself off of the board and 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 do what I needed to do and I could get like from point A to point B, but I literally could not swim 25 yards straight when I first hopped in the pool 11 years ago. And, and again, 
I think a lot of that was the, the breathing piece because anyone should be able to just kind of get through with a freestyle uh, from one end to the other. And it just took a lot of time. Uh, and I signed up for the pool and went for one hour every day for a month. And that's when it started to stick. And in, in two, two and a half months of swimming from zero to learning more, I was able to swim a half a mile without any stopping, which was just enough for me to enter my first triathlon. How many laps is that in a Olympic size pool half mile? So Olympic size pool, uh, half mile, if, if, so you're talking a 50 yard pool there and back you're, you're talking about, let's see, uh, 4,000 is about just over two miles, 3,800. So 3,800 divided by four. So it ends up being about a thousand. So it's like 50, right? 50, <laughs> yeah. Like, <geez. laughs> oh my gosh. How do you keep track? Oh, that's what the that's what watches are for. Oh, perfect. Yeah, all, <laughs> all the Garmin's um, or the Suntos uh, will keep track of your your laps. You never have to pay attention to it. Oh, that's awesome! I didn't uh, know they it did. Kind of drives me crazy. It's like the difference between running a timed mile versus just going out and enjoying a run, because I've I, I try not to look down at my watch or I don't turn on the signal like to buzz every like thousand yards and when I do that then it really allows me to kind of disappear and I remember my triathlon coach said just leave your watch at home for a month and just see how you progress and that's what I did and it was amazing how much quicker I got because I wow. wasn't running against the clock yeah when you mentioned you yeah, did uh, triathletes, like, and and you've moved out of that sport because you hated running and cycling wasn't a good enough sport. Like, did you ever do any Ironmans or? I did just half your local. Irons. Oh, half Ironmans. Um, okay. I mean, and I will be totally honest. My wife, after my fourth year, she was a competitive Nordic skier, and she was like, you know, I'll give this this triathlon thing a try. And within a year, she was destroying me. <laughs> so he found like, the real reason you left. <laughs> okay, that is like a real reason. And and she became like one of the top females uh, in the country. Um, oh, wow. That's awesome. And went to Kona and did all that. And I got out just in time because she would have just been like <laughs> lapping me. Oh, that's too funny. That's great. <laughs> So how do these, uh, I'm intrigued by these events. How do they, how do they work? Run us through how, like from start to finish, how one of these, you know, <laughs> I guess, ultra swimming uh, events work. So again, for me, it's a singular event. And uh, one aspect that I have, I have a, my best friend, Jake, who's a paddleboarder. He will paddleboard the whole time next to me. And he's okay. the guy that will you know, bring me my gels, my food, my water, 
whatever, every feed uh, the whole time. And, you know, that in itself is pretty cool because it's like you got the camaraderie and you got someone to joke with and have a fun time with. And so he and I first started just looking at a map of, of Rhode Island where I kind of grew up. And we said, okay, let's go around the island of Jamestown, which was about 20 miles. And it was great because we could swing with the current coming in, and then we could swing on the other side with it going out. And it was like the perfectly set up swim, and it was like nine and a half hours. The hard part with the logistics is the coast guard and all the safety features and my coach uh david martin who's getting his doctorate at the corey stringer institute in in connecticut at yukon uh is like super on top of it and he and i actually just wrote uh the what we want to be adopted as the bylaws for anybody putting on a swim event, whether it's a part of a triathlon or just swimming alone, because there have been so many deaths in the last, you know, five to 10 years in, in the swimming world comparatively to the, you know, running world and to the cycling world and, and all that. Um, and everyone would say, oh, yeah, no, it's a cyclist we are really worry about because of the crashes and because of the cars and the vehicles. But the swimmers actually far outnumber uh, the, the cyclists. So I it was the last thing that I would have thought of was the safety. I was just like, just let me do it and let's go. Uh, and uh, it ends up being a really big piece because you have to get it permitted and you have to clear all the channel ways and you have to get the Coast Guard to escort you over certain parts. Uh, and and so that's like a three or four month process. But now that we've done it, now after we did it once, it was like, we knew who, who to call, we knew how to get the permits, we knew how to set it all up. And I also do all my swims for an environmental uh, nonprofit called Clean Ocean Access, and I raise money for them. And, and so with their name and everything that they do within the local waterways, keeping it clean and, and the local government, we can kind of get smooth sailing to get all the permits that we need. And, uh, and then we just look for a clear day and we don't always get that. And the last swim, swim we had, we knew we were going to have some wind, and but we didn't know it was going to be like 20 mile per hour winds. And uh, that ended up being a little bit of a hindrance, but we made it through. And uh, the, the year before that, so two years ago, when I was swimming from Block Island to um, Jamestown, the biggest concern was weather but also sharks and so we we actually got uh, sponsored by a company called ocean guardian out of australia and they provided the shark leashes for us uh, which is a deterrent for great white sharks and uh and that was very nice to have along the way so we didn't have to worry about those things uh, even though we did spot a few sharks along the way luckily they didn't tell me and they kept it to themselves were they great whites they found 
they saw? So we went over two, like we, on on our sonar, and, and it's a very high-tech sonar because it's it was a tuna boat that I was on um, supporting us, and, and he's a tuna captain. We went over like a 15 to 17 foot fish, which could only have been a shark because nope and that would have been a great <laughs> nope um, so we're both trail runners we don't run into great whites well I, it's the same I, I was saying it to like some people it's like it's like running into a bear you know like yeah okay like what do we do now um either either you redirect or you face it face on and move on oh my gosh that sounds so <laughs> terrifying so what about what these <laughs> these uh, deterrents like? How do they work? So it's a uh, it's about a half pound battery that will wraps around your ankle, and then it has a, a cable that's about three feet long that trails behind it, and every six to eight seconds it puts off an electric pulse in throughout the whole water, and it kind of creates a bubble and it messes with the like lateral lines and like the electrical impulses in the shark's nose. Um, and what I didn't know is that every time it shocks the water, it also shocks your leg. So I don't know if you've ever like grabbed one of those electric uh, dog collars, like, yeah. or mess with your friends with it and, 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 and put it across the line, but it was honestly like that like every eight seconds. So when I first put it on, I never tried it out before. I was like, sweet, this thing will work. I see that it works. And then I I, I put it on and I was like, oh my gosh, no one told me it was going to be like this. You would think that they would create something that would not shock the swimmer as they're, I mean, I guess well, maybe that's part of the bubble. So, but... so what a lot of the swimmers will do is they'll take it to prevent that. They'll put it on the, like paddleboarder or the kayaker. Oh, okay. But it lessens the efficacy by like 30%. And mm. I was like, okay, I'll just suck it up and just put it on my leg. <laughs> you just, <laughs> you ever get tired? You just go and just throw that thing on. It'll just shock you every eight seconds. You'll be good to go. <laughs> uh, the best was when there's at one point I had to switch mine out. And uh, Jake, the paddleboarder was going, it wasn't like out. I just knew that. It had been six hours and it was just about to run out. So as I kind of held the bracelet part, I took the coil and I wrapped it around his ankle. Oh. So he got the full effect of it. It was the best. So even though you have a tuna boat following you, you still have a paddle boarder out in the water with you? Yes. Now, are they yeah. carrying your your nutrition and stuff like that, or? So that's all on the boat, and then he has he wears this like little satchel around his neck, and then he will go back and forth from the boat. Oh, okay. Depending on what I need. So you you're you're out in deep water then. If you're, I mean, you're yeah, running so, into seventeen foot sharks. <laughs> yeah, th that was like one hundred and forty feet, probably one hundred and. 150 feet you can't see me shaking my head but that's a shaking my head <laughs> right. oh, that's so intriguing now these out and backs yeah. are they point to point or they're well um the, my first one around the island of jamestown was around the island mm -hmm. and then the last two it was block island up the bay to jamestown 
and then it was from Providence down to Jamestown, which was all of Narragansett Bay. And so the someone had done Jamestown before, uh, but I was the first, I'm still the only person to have swum from Block Island to the main area of of Narragansett Bay. And I'm also the first and only one to have done Providence on down because probably will be for a long time because that one sucked. <laughs> so, so I guess I, I misunderstood. So you're just going out and doing these on your own. You're not, that's not a, there's not like a competition or anything where they're set up as an ultra swim or anything like that. Mm, correct. Yeah. It's just okay. me against myself. Got it. So you're, I guess, like you were saying, you plan all this out. We have to get the permits, the, the Coast Guard and everything else. Right. So then how do you, how do you pick these routes? Are you like, do people have people, you mentioned some people have done these other ones before. Are you like going out and trying to set these routes that are particularly harder than other routes or is it just, yeah. oh, yeah, I'd so like, like this one from here to there. Yeah. So for like um, Block Island, everyone who had done Block Island, uh, any swim from Block Island did the 11 miles to Point, Point Judith or from Point Judith to Block Island, which is the closest piece of land to Block Island. So it's the most direct route. I took the, the indirect route and went from Block Island all the way around to Jamestown and, and added another um, eight miles to, to the route. <laughs> and I did that one because someone told me it couldn't be done. And I was like, yeah, right, it couldn't be done. I'll watch it, I'll do it, you know? And then Narragansett Bay was one that I've always wanted to do because there's been some guys who have done it over like a five or six day period. And I would read these articles about them. And I'm like, that's so wimpy. Like, why not do it all at once? I'll do that. You know, I, <laughs> I can, I can definitely, I can take that and, uh, and I can swim all Narragansett Bay. And, um, and at the same time, was kind of important at that time because I knew we were making a movie about it and it had to be something pretty significant to to make it movie worthy or documentary worthy so and what was the distance on that one 24 is that your longest 24 that's my longest yes what what in time well, frame does that take like how many so, hours does we, that take you know, I mean, to put this in perspective, I, I average about 2.1 miles per hour, right, on on an average day in the in the ocean. And we hit so much current and wind, there was one hour that I went 250 yards. Oh, my gosh. So I was barely moving for, for an hour. And what should have taken me about 11 hours or, you know, 10 and a half hours ended up taking me 15 uh, just because of current and wind. Now, if you need to take a break to get fuel, rehydrate, is there, um, do you have to stay in the water? Is the rules behind that? Or can you get out and get on the boat or? Yeah, like, it's not like I was, uh, I didn't have like a, uh, Fina open water swim person like documenting it. I wasn't yeah. trying to like 
getting like any official book or anything. So, uh, you know, I can kind of do what I want, but I, I swim. Jake will bring whatever I need. And, and when I need a, a break, I just kind of roll on my back for, you know, a minute or two and gather myself and then I keep going. Oh, okay. And, um, I don't think I took much more. I think probably the longest break I took was when I had to start downing Advil. And that was like eight or nine hours in. And it was probably like five or six minutes just to get it all sorted. <laughs> was that because your shoulder was bothering you? Oh, I was dying. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't even, I, it was like pinching and, uh, I, I tore my meniscus in both my knees uh, running uh, during my triathlon days. And it felt similar to that, just like that pinching um, feeling. Hmm. What is, uh, what is something that like, what's the wildest thing that's happened to you while you're out in the water? There's gotta be something that's like super crazy that oh, just has so a good story behind it. One of the coolest stories that, that I have is during the last swim, I was in the middle of Narragansett Bay and we were making our way down, you know, to Prudence Island. And I, I'm just doing my thing. And, and then Jake, the paddleboarder, like hit me with his paddle and, and he said, you got to listen to this story. And I was like, okay, what happened? Uh, and I had kind of seen this old fishing boat come up next to our boat and I'm like oh great they're gonna yell at us for like being in his fishing grounds and like screwing up his traps or something and it was this crabber who'd been crabbing on Narragansett Bay for the last 43 years and he had said he had never seen anyone swimming into these waters in his whole history of being out here <laughs> and he had read, he had, he had seen the news the day before and he took out a $10 bill and he said, this is for clean ocean access because this is probably the first time that these waters are actually swimmable and, and we want to keep it that way. And I know it's not that much, but this is how I want to give back to what he is doing to bring light to, of the environment and protecting it and uh, and doing these crazy swims. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is so cool. And that kind of gave me like that jolt that I needed. And, uh, and I kept going. And that's, and awesome. that's again, one of the reasons why I love to raise money is for something I believe in is that, you know, it creates some accountability. And I know that okay, it's one thing if I get out of the water and I'm done and I give up and I'm doing that to myself, but it's a whole nother thing when you have 450 people who have given over $100,000 to what they think you can accomplish. Wow. That's a, that's amazing that, that you're raising that much money and bringing awareness to, uh, you know, help, help clean up the oceans and whatever waterways they they clean up how far away from shore are you usually averaging when you're doing these swims so block island was the long the farthest i was away from shore and um i was about nine miles 
base in the middle of the ocean. Uh, so you you can't see any land uh, from from the perspective of swimming. And I don't think like maybe on a really clear day you'd be able to see it in the distance on the boat. But for the most part, it's you're in the middle of of no man's land. And uh, and then you know for for the other two, I was the the closest I would get to like some of the islands, depending on the current, was maybe 50 yards, and then as far okay. away as close to a mile. Wow. So when you're starting these uh, adventures, do you start in the boat or do you just start from the shore? I will start from the shore. I started from the shore in all but one. And that was uh, going around Jamestown because it was too dangerous to start from the shore. So I uh, started on like a big bell, uh, you know, a buoy bell. And so I jumped out of the boat, touched the bell, went around and then touched it again. That's cool. So how did, how did your feeling strategy uh, for these events like how often are you so you know taking I will, it on I I will fuel every 30 to 35 minutes uh they'll give me a, a hand at 30 and then I might say just five more if I'm not if I'm really in the groove or I'm just not feeling it yet um but I won't go any longer than than 35 uh and it also kind of depends on the temperature of the water like I tend to get because I'm pretty skinny, I tend to get pretty cold if it's 67 or 66 or below. So I have to get some warm liquids in me um, and and warm and warm myself up a little bit. And and even just eating helps me warm up a little bit. So I will. I'm pretty much all liquid hydration and fueling for the first six hours, uh, and I all alternate between Martin 360 and maldodextrin and scratch. So I'll, I'll do, I'll just mix maldodextrin and scratch in one, in one um, bottle and then I'll have my Martin bottle. And then every half hour I have one or the other and I, I, I take down 17 ounces each time uh, and Luckily, the nice thing of having David as my coach is that he's done all the studies on me and knows exactly how much I need, what I need to take in, uh, et cetera. So like on the last swim, I burned like 8,300 calories, uh, but I was still able to take in over 6,000, uh, which is a lot for a swimmer or a lot for for any ultra athlete and and then after the six hour mark i start supplementing with solids and um we actually ended up getting rid of all of the electrolytes from my drinks after six hours because i was taking in so much water uh and it was so rough and we didn't want to get what hypo hypo or nitremia or whatever it is when you have too much salt in your 
in your body and uh and it's at like hour six a lot of swimmers i i hear don't get very hungry when they swim i am starving <laughs> and i will you know destroy peanut butter and jelly sandwiches um you know so i i think i had four or five peanut butter and jelly sandwiches which we made like three days before. So it was nice and soggy. And I just threw it in and gulped it down, you know, quarter by quarter. And then, uh, yeah, I, I would imagine the sandwiches or whatever you're eating that's solid can't be very chewy or hard or it needs to be it just somewhat gets, soft. It's just so much effort, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're um, laying upside down trying to, you know, put yeah. it in, you're already at a disadvantage that way. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, and, and watermelon is always my go-to Yeah, and, it's just a good way to kind of mix it up, especially if I'm on a warmer water swim. If if I have some solid watermelon, uh, and you always I'll have salt to dip it in right there in the ocean and everything. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll start the uh, the sugars about nine hours, and you know, like the Snickers bars and the Coca Colas and the all the crap that you crave. And yeah, you probably you know, you shouldn't be eating, but you just have to have. <laughs> and then, oh, and then Martin gels, um, I'll use throughout and, and uh, maple syrup. And, um, and then with the drinks after hour six, I drink a lot of uh, drink simple. Uh, it's a pure maple sap water. Um, I train with it as well. So it's like a it's just it's it's got the, just enough electrolytes and sugar to kind of keep me going and it's like refreshing enough to get like the salt taste out of my mouth um so i i think the, to mix it up is what's key because in in the beginning when i didn't mix it up that's when i would start to get sick and just having the same thing over and over again and i can't have goos and i can't have chews you know, those don't work for me. I don't think they so do work for very many people, to be honest. It's no. <laughs> so thick. <laughs> yeah, especially when it's hot and oh. every half hour, hour, whenever you take them, yeah, they get old. So when you're training in the pool, do you, when you're doing your um, nutrition, do you act like you're, you know, out in the ocean, just roll over on your back and grab it off the ledge? Or no, I, do you stand I'll, up? Yeah, I'll just stand up at the edge and chow. It really doesn't matter in the end. It's just the hours that you put in uh, in the end. And and so that's kind of the nice thing about being in a pool because there aren't really rules <laughs> that you have to follow. And, uh, it's not like my coach is there. So um, but even, <laughs> even he would he would he would agree that you could kind of do what you want it's it's training time it's supposed to be kind of fun anyway yeah yeah so for being in the in the water you know for the multiple hours what happens to your body like your skin or your hands or your feet or anything you know as runners we have all kinds of issues that can happen just from being on the elements but i don't know about how about being in the water for that long so you know, lips, tongue, feet, and hands are the biggest issue. And 
they just get so saturated and and wrinkly because especially in the salt water uh, because of the osmosis right and you just kind of deal with it and then like two days afterwards you, you're going to have like a massive peel of your hands and and feet uh, but I, the, the biggest thing for me in the water is temperature and if i'm in 67 or below temperature with without a wetsuit my core is going to drop pretty quickly uh, and I have to kind of pay attention to keeping that up. Um, in, in my last swim, they gave me a, um, what's it called, a body pill, body? It's a company that makes these little pills that you ingest and it looks like Tylenol, but you wear a bracelet or it looks like a little Garmin and it takes your temperature, your internal temperature every 30 seconds and it goes to your watch and then it goes to the boat and it gives your temperature to the doctor on the boat so they can see where I'm at. So both Jake, my paddle boarder and I wore the bracelets and, and took the pills. And because it was kind of a warmer swim, I actually developed a fever uh, probably hour 10 or so and uh and then that night my fever spiked at like 102 102.5 because wow. my body was in such shock of everything coming out of the muscles and, and flushing everything out um and i we're actually going to use that to to study some all other ultra athletes including iron man um athletes in the future just to see what their body temps do in response to really tough exertion yeah that's intriguing i've never heard of anything like that that's that's pretty cool so like i don't like i've always had it where and, and i've talked to some people who like after a really hard race or a really long race you know you take your shirt off you're sweating all night long it's actually you're not the, it, it's your physical response to a fever uh and that's why you're you're sweating and feeling so hot so it's it's pretty crazy um and and something we're gonna kind of check out a little bit more in the future how you know being in the water and not knowing your sweat rate how, how did you learn to know i mean you don't take as much electrolytes now but how did you learn that part of it um, I, how much I did about, you were sweating. Yeah. So your sweat rate is going to, um, just like with running, it's going to, uh, you don't have humidity uh, as one of the factors, but uh, it will change according to the temperature of the water. So what David and I did is we did it at like four different temperatures um, and would would take my weight before I would swim for an hour and then take my weight after see what my sweat rate was according to and and see how that related to the different temperature of water. Um, so like when when I do my race in the keys, I'm taking in like 19 ounces to 20 ounces every 30 or 35 minutes um, versus 
up in the northeast where it's like 70 uh, i'll take in only 16 or 17 ounces okay so it's pretty much the same way as you know most endurance athletes athletes you know try to figure out their sweat range is just weighing themselves or whatever than calculating it right that just that would just be weird for me because you know kind of running off sweat depending on wherever the race is at and the elements is kind of you know how much sometimes i gauge how much to take in salt or not but being in the water that's just a whole other element of not knowing because you're not feeling it i guess i guess you can feel the probably the sweat coming off your head um, right if and the waves aren't bashing into you we've um done some stuff with nix you know the nix is like the body patch for sweat rate and you put the patch mm -hmm. on and then after 30 minutes it'll start reading sweat rate and it will tell you to your phone exactly how high your sweat rate is depending on how hard you're going um and we're trying to actually develop one for the water to to be able to do it while you're in the water because they only have it for runners and cyclists and people are doing it outside so this sounds like it's a super small little niche sport that you're doing how many other people out there do you know of that are taking on these big swims like this i think you can kind of look at the english channel swim as to how many people are doing that and doing it successfully I, there's a much larger group who are doing like the uh four to 10 mile swims uh whereas the really long ones are just fewer there 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 aren't as many uh, of us out there. So I don't really know, um, you know, just through my Facebook groups and Instagram, you know, there are tens of thousands of people that consider themselves either interested in ultra marathon swimming or ultra marathon swimmers. Huh. You know, I listened to Peter Atiyah and he talks about swimming. I don't know if he mentions, do you know who Peter Atiyah is? No. Okay. I think he, he does some longer swims. I've heard him mention some longer swims, but that's a, it's a little small group, just, you know, same as ultra running, but it sounds like you've had to really learn as you go, because there's not, I'm sure there's some information out there um, about it, you know, with ultra running, you can get online and Google a training plan and pretty much get one for free if you find out or pick up a marathon plan, you know, for your first 50 K or something like that. So it's just, it's been a huge learning experience and trial and error for you. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, it's just like the feeding alone. Like, first of all, once I learned of, well, I, I guess it was also because of when it came out, once Martin came out, that changed everything for me because you, you know, um martin for swimmers is even that much more important especially the liquid side because it doesn't slosh around in your stomach um because it kind of gets that like gel and you don't have to really worry about it as much um and then the other piece was when i was talking to the coach uh, i forgot what his name is through through david he hooked me up with the coach of uh the olympic team for the u.s uh long distance and he was like you need to start adding some solids to to your swims because you can't sustain what you're doing 
just on Martin and and electrolytes. Like you have to get some solids. And once I learned to make that switch, it was like, oh my gosh, this is like a game changer. <laughs> just adding that many more calories to it. Right. Do you uh, do you use a, a heart rate monitor while you're doing these swims? Sometimes. Um, well, for the last couple I have, because it was like a science experiment for David. So he took everything that he could possibly get off of me. Um, I'm 120. I averaged 126, 125 the whole swim. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah, that was, that was kind of going to be my next question, you know, because I was wondering what, where you'd be at uh, for your heart rate. You know, zones. And if you think about tempo, just like tempo and in, in running or, or ultra running is is important. The crazy thing is, is that when we looked at my tempo, I was 49 strokes per minute to 51 strokes per minute from the second I got in the water to the second I got out. There wasn't one minute that I strayed from that stroke rate, even when I was stuck in doldrum land going 250 yards in an hour <laughs> that's incredible <laughs> did you just did you just learn how to train that because I, I guess you know when i've swam i haven't don't know how to swim but it seems like you know speed up slow down speed up slow down how, how did you learn how to keep that constant stroke so you're gonna laugh at this one so i listen to music when i do the long swims underwater audio has this little delphin and you can download Spotify playlists and I make playlists as I swim and I swim to the same playlist every time, even though it's like 19 hours of songs, but it's all reggae music. So I, I'm constantly swimming to that beat. Okay. You know, I've uh, working with uh, runners and other people they they also can use music as a cadence too. They'll you know they'll just stay, make sure they move with the beat. So that's interesting that you do that with swimming yourself in music. Because I guess that when you're out there, I like to listen to music when I'm running. Some people, some people don't like that. You know they want to be off in their own head. But I gotta have some music. So I guess you would just being out there, and I couldn't imagine being nine miles away from shore what that also does to you mentally. Uh, how far away is Jake on the paddleboard from you during these? He's he's always on my right side because I'm a single side breather and everyone's like, you can't be a single side breather, but I am. <laughs> I just feel more comfortable unless it's like really wavy, then I'll switch it up. Um, but he'll be on my right hand side. Uh, he's probably like eight to 10 feet away. He's also in order to prevent me from having to look up and um a lot of times it doesn't matter because i can't see where we're going and the boat has to tell jake where we're going and then he then tells me where we're going um and and they do it by gps because they can't see the sights and the distance or on those really open water swims so um it's always reassuring to have them not too far away yeah i could only imagine so i gotta ask how many how many uh, miles is jake getting in on this paddleboard way more than way more than me and like he is a freaking beast like this it was so rough we had five to six foot seas 
Oh my gosh. And he only <laughs> fell off of his board like and he's on a pretty thin board. He's just like on a Nash racing board. And uh he only fell off like five or six times. And wow. um he he's shorter, so but his core he's he's so strong in the core. And he's also a semi-professional uh, paddleboard racer, which kind of helps. Um, <laughs> and, and I always give him a hard time. I was like, it must be so hard to go that slow because he's used to just hammering it. Um, but he's like, no, I love it. it it's good. It's fun. <laughs> How wrecked is Jake when you guys are done? Is he pretty wrecked as you? Oh, both of us are total. <laughs> just like, trash. He's total mess. He gets way more sunburn than I do, though, because he refuses. <laughs> and this is the best part. Like, he thinks he has it in his car, like, he has some crazy beliefs. And in his car, he has this little container that's full of peach pits. Okay. And these are his choice peach pits that he takes in and puts one in his mouth before he does, goes for, he's a crazy runner, too. Uh, and before he goes for a run, before he goes for a paddleboard, because he thinks that sucking on a peach pit is going to keep his mouth like salivating because the <laughs> Romans used to take stones and stick them in their mouth and suck on those when they're going into battle. Okay, that's how crazy he is. So just wow. to put it in perspective, what I'm dealing with, dealing. So he's oh paddling next to me with a peach pit the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you guys should try that out i've never uh, heard of that before yeah i'll have to try uh, that well, <laughs> oh man so let's uh you you talked about you made a documentary what's the what's the documentary about without giving too much away and is it what is it for a cause was it for the 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 cleanup well so the the name of the, the movie is Swim Tough, uh, How I Swam My Way Out of a Bottle. And uh, I was approached by a guy named Matt Corliss. He's actually a big ultra guy because um, he makes all the videos for the ultra running and he travels all over the world going to the different competitions and um he he's the official videographer for ultra the shoes you know ultra foot shoes ultra ultra, yeah. ultra. and ultra, um, yeah. he did like free solo he did um lots of like high crazy like climbing movies and stuff and uh once he learned about my story of swimming and my sobriety he was like they go hand in hand you know you're your story of swimming is your sobriety. And not only that, but you're doing it for an amazing cause. And let's document that. Let's let's film this next year. And your job is to come up with a crazy swim that you're going to do next summer. And I'm like, oh my goodness, okay. <laughs> I can figure that one out. So for the last year and a half, we've been filming this documentary uh, all over the place in Atlanta, uh, Vermont, and in Rhode Island. And, and he lives in Boulder, so he flies out every time. And uh, it just was completed about two months ago. And we had our first showing down in Atlanta. And 
we will have a knowing, another showing in Rhode Island in two weeks. Um, and then it'll go to different film festivals. Um, and so I, I'm going to be in Bob Weir's um, film festival in Park City um, at the end of the springtime, which will be really cool and, uh, and take part of that. But it, it, it tells the story of how I found sobriety and how swimming has kind of complemented it. And as I talk to schools and corporations and um, colleges and uh, rehab centers, you, my main message is just find something that you love. Like it doesn't matter if it's walking, power walking, curling, knitting, you know, for me, it was swimming. It could be, it, it could be something completely random. Um, I think it is a great thing if it's getting you active and moving because that's so important. And, uh, and what I think is a really big piece of recovery, uh, but regardless what it is, find it out and, and take it and go with it. So myself being in recovery too, what have you found that swimming gives you in recovery? Besides, I mean, for running, it gives me an outlet. Uh, it can only fulfill so much though, right? There's a lot more to the recovery game than just exercise and that kind of stuff. What, I guess, to, I guess the better way to word the question, mentally, what has swimming done for your recovery? So for me, uh, when I was at rehab and I spent about 35 days at rehab, uh, we used to have especially on Sundays for some reason, we would have these meditation sense, uh, uh, these meditation um, sessions with a like professional meditation person. And like, I am very ADD, ADHD. Like that's just the way that I was made. And I could not sit still or do anything having to do with meditation and mindfulness. And I wanted it so badly. But once I got in the pool, I found it because I was moving. You know, it's it's no different than when I was teaching and I would give those little fidget toys to the really loud, obnoxious kids that couldn't sit still. And I gave them a fidget toy and suddenly they're fidgeting. They're listening for the first time. Like, oh my gosh, this is like a miracle. And, and for me, when I found the water, it was like, oh my gosh, like, it's all making sense. I can think, I can process, I can go through the list of things that I have to process through and I can get through it all. Yeah, I think a lot of us, you know, endurance athletes or, you know, people that just do a lot of movement, once you get in that flow state, like you're saying, things just, you can just do what you need to do, you know, just calm down you get into that good place and keep on moving and pretty soon you don't even realize you're actually doing some kind of activity anymore it's just you're in this mental zone and everything feels good right yeah i, I, I could for me swimming's tough because i just always played swim but i could see you know just the, being in the water the sound of the water your hand hitting the water your kicking and all that stuff and I could just see where it could take you to that place as I know for me running does, you know, being out in the mountains or anywhere, 
you know, you get to look around and you just go in that state and everything's good in life. And I used to get it from running until running become became hurting more than it came running. And it was like, it was really bothering me. Like my knees, I was like, and it would take me a couple of days after like a nine or 10 mile run. Like it would take me like a solid two or three days to recover from it. And I don't think that that place that I go is any different uh, when I swim, other than the fact that there are less distractions maybe. Yeah, I could see that. What what made you decide to uh, stop drinking? Uh, was there like a rock bottom? Or... Oh, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was, I mean, it got really bad 14 years ago. And, you know, I kind of made it work somehow for, for three years of really aggressive drinking. And, and I'm talking drinking... Um, you know, eight shots of vodka and then six beers after that every night. And, uh, and then it got to the point where I had such high anxiety and um, obviously the, the drinking only made that worse. And I was having a panic attack uh, one Sunday morning and I asked my wife to take me to the hospital and we went to the hospital and I'm hanging out in that like little triage room where they're waiting to admit you and an hour and a half goes by and I'm like I say to the nurse like what's going on just let me in like come on it's 11 30 already in the morning and uh, and we've been here for an hour and a half and she said well we'll let you in as soon as your blood alcohol content comes below the legal limit wow and my wife looks at me and is like what and I'd stopped drinking at like nine the night before and she didn't even know I was hiding all this, these drinks. I mean, she probably could guess, um, but it was, I had a choice to make. And I said, you know, I, I need to do, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. What do I do? She said, you need to go to rehab. You need to get help and you're going to do it now or else you're going to lose me and you're going to lose your two kids. I said, done, I'm going. Let's go, set it up, send me away. I'm ready to go. And that's what I did. Yeah, those sometimes those those you know big ultimatums will make you step back and look what you're you're abusing or doing. Why why did you drink? What was your was it a release? Uh, well, you, for, I got I was brought up in a in a family that all the drinking was around me twenty four seven. And it was like partying, having fun. So I always thought that drinking was having fun. But at the same time, I also had very um, high anxiety and had lots of panic attacks as a kid, didn't really know what was going on. Um, and then it was my third day at rehab when I was meeting with the psychiatrist and he said, you know that you're bipolar. I was like, what are you talking about? Like bipolar? Like that's a bunch of freaks like who are like seeing things, right? He's like, no, like you're up here one second and you're medicating to bring yourself down. And then you're down here thinking that you're going to drink and bring yourself up. And so you're just constantly doing this and you just need to figure out how to chill out right in the middle. And then you're going to be A-OK. -okay. And I was like, 
man, it's taken me 33 years to figure this out. What the heck? <laughs> I've never heard it put, put that way before, but that's a, uh, that's pretty dead on for yeah. <laughs> most people that abuse a substance. I mean, I like that. So what have you learned about yourself from swimming and becoming sober in recovery? Oh man. I, I think that the biggest piece is that, and I did have this when, when I was still drinking, but I, I decided to become a teacher because I wanted to make a difference in people's lives and I wanted to leave my mark on people. And now I feel that instead of it being in a classroom, it's going to be through the movie, through podcasts like yours, through articles, through talks, and talks about my struggle with alcoholism and also informing them that it's not a bad thing. It's just a part of who we are and it's not something to be scared of. And if I, I often tell people that I'm the proudest alcoholic on this earth because I am so thankful for what I have and I wouldn't change it for anything. And if I can get that point across, then they themselves are going to pay more attention to their own issues and to those around them who might have issues and address them in a positive way. So I, I guess you just kind of found a different purpose after you became and re started recovery. Right, right. I, I, I could see that with a lot of people in recovery because you know the, the corporate world or however you're brought up, oh, kind of strays you or leads you in one direction, then you just go after that. Then you start abusing whatever substance you start abusing. Then when you go into recovery, you realize that that might not have been the you're calling or you're pushed in that direction, then you have a new sense of a new sense of purpose. Right. So do you have a swim plan for next year that you're working on? No, we've been putting our heads together. Um, I've been looking at Nantucket. It's a little sharky. It's got some funky currents and it's 34 miles. So like those are the things that are against it, but it'd be really, really sharky. cool. <laughs> So you're wanting to push the distance too, I'm guessing. I think that I always will. Like it gets to a point where like 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 19 miles, that's so wimpy. Come on, let's let's go a little bigger. <laughs> that's the same way Justin's eye brings work too, you know. Yeah. You you know, some people start in 5K or whatever. Some people just jump big in big into it like I did, but you know, after you've run 30 miles, it's like that could just be a training run. I mean it's 30 miles so, so i like that you're uh, you're always looking to go farther and push yourself where's like a dream place for you to go swim or a bucket list swim place yeah so i like anywhere that's warm so i would love to do like some of the island swims um like there's there's one in uh, nevis i would love to do one in like the grenadines or um, like St. Kitts or Turks and Caicos or, you know, it, any any water that is um, kind of fun to look through. 
um, where you're not worrying about a great white coming 60 feet from below and just <laughs> demolishing you <clears throat> the whole time. Because that is, it's always on the back of your head. Oh, I can't even right? imagine. Um, especially when you're like in Block Island, I had 300 seals on the sand behind me as I jumped into the water. I'm like, great. I look like a seal right now <laughs> because it's so dark. <laughs> Uh, that's awesome. So Ben, we always like to uh, ask our guests. Uh, the first question is, what kind of gear do you use? So I know nothing about swim gear, so this could be uh, pretty interesting. So the Magic 5 goggles have been awesome. And and they kind of partnered up with me uh, a couple years ago. And uh, it's like finding the best pair of shoes but they're custom fit for you because you, you take a scan of your face with the phone and then you upload it to their website and then they make your goggles specifically to your face. Wow. And I got a big nose and it gets in the way of regular goggles, but the magic five goggles last forever. And um, I wouldn't use any other goggle really. Uh, and then, I always swim with music. So I have the, the Delphin uh, by Underwater Audio. And it's, I, I, I started swimming with just one of those little uh, shuffles, iPods, but you had to buy the music. And it was really annoying that I had to buy these songs just to put it on the shuffle. And now the Delphin has Spotify and Apple Music. So I just download playlists, trade playlists, put on podcasts, whatever. And I can disappear in the in the pool or the ocean or the lake. Um, and then, I mean, luckily it's, it's not a very geary sport. Um, you know, I use Martin for all my training pretty much. And then when it comes to any other kind of supplement, um, I do drink a lot of maple syrup and um, drink simple for both before I go. I mean, before every single one of my races, I've had at least a liter of uh, maple water. And um, it it's just, it's like, and then while I'm racing, especially if it's hot, a cold maple water is kind of what I need. What's your ratio on that? For? If you're just putting it, I'm assuming you're just putting it in a normal bottle, like a biking bottle or something like that or like how much how much uh maple syrup to water are you using oh so maple water is straight from the straight from the tree oh oh so it's, oh you're actually it's unfiltered to... yeah okay it's unfiltered um it's unfiltered maple syrup yeah so drinkable has a place in albans st albans uh vermont and they just tap these trees get out all this water and instead of boiling it down to like 50 gallons down to like one gallon, they just take all that 50 gallons and they bottle it. And it just tastes a little tingy of, of maple. Um, but it's, uh, we did actually some studies on it and uh, it actually improved cyclists versus water and versus Gatorade. It was the best performance drink for them and it was hmm. all from 
a tree, which is sweet. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then I'm trying to think what else. That's I think that's it on the gear side. Nice. So our uh, second question we always ask is, who should we have on our podcast that inspires you or you look up to uh, or just has a great story to tell? So you have to have David Martin, my coach, because he is such a dork when it comes to what you put in your body, how to maximize, you know, running, how to, how to individualize every single person's performance to like a T. And he's actually one of the specialists on creatine uh, in the U S and creatine usage in performance, um, performance or, or endurance, um, sports and, um, has done a ton of studies on, on that. Um, but he's, he's helped me so much and the, what he has discovered in his labs with some of the top athletes in the country, um, a lot of triathletes, a lot of runners and a lot of cyclists, not as many swimmers, um, but it is really, really interesting. And um, he comes to a lot of my speeches with me and, and we just did a presentation to USA Triathlon last week, uh, a combination of kind of what my experience have been has been but also what he's learned through studying my swims and studying endurance athletes in general yeah that would be really okay. cool to dial that in that'd be kind of neat maybe, yeah, maybe i should just hit him up <laughs> hit him up see what he could do for us <laughs> he wanted, yeah tell you exactly what you need. like he's unbelievable yeah I'm a disaster yeah, when it comes to ultra marathons. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely have to, we'll have to see if we can get them on. So we uh, want to give you some time to, you know, give shout outs to everyone or anyone you want to, where people can find you to follow you and see your crazy swims you do. And then uh, you mentioned the documentary is going to come out to uh, streaming sometime at some point, if, uh, if you know where that's going to be, if you can, uh, tell everyone where that is or where they can, uh, find the documentary too. Right. So, uh, my, my website is, uh, swimtough.com and you can check out the trailer right now for the movie. And I'll have more information on there about where I will be in, in the next, six months because it's very dependent on what film festivals end up taking uh, my film or accepting my film into their their film festival and it, it'll be at these film festivals that the like netflixes and the amazons and um all those the hulus they are out buying movies and hopefully uh, they'll be interested in uh swim tough otherwise uh, it'll go to kind of like a second, um, it'll go right to iTunes and, and you'll be able to see it, uh, on iTunes, but you can just stay, stay up with the website. And, um, and then my Instagram is at ben.tough, 
P-U-F-F. And I will have a lot of info on there as well. And, um, and, and then I'm always linking up with uh, Jake Lindley, who's my paddleboarder and he's out there paddling away this summer and in a lot of contests. And, uh, and then David Martin, uh, my coach, he'll be competing in Ironman Lake Placid in just a week or two. And uh, he's a beast and he's awesome. So um, follow along and I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Yeah, no, thank you. We appreciate, uh, you know, telling your story through uh, sobriety and recovery and your swimming. I mean, it's been awesome. Great conversation.